Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember, there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, foundations for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hey, this is Kevin Van Trump coming at another uh, edition of our Highly Volatile podcast. I got my good buddy Andy Daniels on the line, a couple of our uh, old trading and investing friends as well. And uh, we're going to, you know, kick this thing off. There's a lot of craziness in the markets right now. So I'm going to turn it over to Andy and let's hear a few thoughts. Okay, great, Kevin. Uh, and and we're, we are uh, honored to have join us today um, David Parker and uh, Mark Bishop, both uh, alumni from the Highly uh, Highly volatile podcast and in in, in, uh, in in recent um, recent conversations. So, gentlemen, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Um, I guess I'll kick off by uh, you know saying we're in a very volatile time to say the least. Um, it's one thing to trade weather; it's another thing to trade inflation. But here we are trading uh, European politics and crazy people across, around the planet. So. That adds a new dimension that uh, we really haven't been exposed to for quite a while. Obviously, um, yesterday we broke hard in the uh, grain markets on anticipation Russia was going to pull back some troops, and today they're not necessarily pulling back troops, so we're turning it around, albeit not as uh, strong as we broke yesterday. And, um, you know, so I guess we got to try to make sense of all this. Um, I'll kick off and just say, I have a little bit of a bullish bias. Um, I've tried to play both sides of this market and find myself talking to myself more than I, I do uh, uh, necessarily doing making money at the moment. But, um, you know, it seems to me that even without Russia uh, meddling in uh, Ukrainian affairs or all the anticipation and uh, of, of what might come after the Olympics are over with China, um, you know, inflation and... Uh, World markets uh, seem to favor the long side of uh, energy, and uh, I would argue possibly, even at these levels, the uh, long side of grains. Um, the, the drought in South America continues to tighten and worsen, and uh, I, I don't know where all that ends, but um, I think that uh, the market uh, is destined for higher prices, and I know that the two of you, Mark and <coughs> excuse me, um, Mark and David, 
maybe a little bit on the uh, on the on the uh, bear side of that argument. So let me uh, turn it over to you. Um, and uh, Mark, what are your thoughts at the moment? Well, I look at the board right now: fifteen, sixty beans, uh, new crop beans at fourteen thirty-six, and I don't see quite as much upside as you do. Um, I see the Chinese aren't taking. I mean, they've been buying new crop lately. They're not. They haven't taken as much old crop up to this point as we wanted them to. Um, I mean, I'm not overtly bearish. I'm just, um, I'm just at these levels. I'm no longer. I can't be too bullish. I mean, I can't buy it here. I'd look more for an opportunity for when it's over um, to go short and ride it and not let them out too easy would be the way that I approach it right now. So um, I guess we are in different camps there. Uh, we, you know, we have this big battle for acreage going on, which is going to be the next thing. Right now we're trading Russia, Ukraine, and, you know, that's, you know, depends on if they go in or if they just go in and take the Donbass region, um, how the market will react and all that. And then we're going to, next we're going to trade acreage battles. You know, cotton's at an all-time high. Um, spring wheat, we're, who's going to plant spring wheat when, you know, the insurance prices on corn and beans and everything are so high and bean, new crop beans are so high. Um, you know, beans battling corn. So then we're going to go through that. And then we're going to have the weather. And the weather looks like maybe dry for the planting season. Um, you know, so it's not, you just don't go in and sell this thing and forget about it. Um, but I'm not, uh, I would, I'd lean a little towards the berry side from these levels myself. All right. And David, how about yourself? Well, I, I, I agree generally, um, more so on, on corn and wheat and a lot more willing to see both sides of uh, uh, the case in, in beans. I think beans, um, it, it's just such an – you have one really, really big buyer, China, and what they're doing, how many pigs they have, uh, how long they're going to keep feeding them at a loss, uh, you know, what government policies are. They have a lot of reserve stocks they could use to smooth over some bumps if they wanted to. It's, it's just a lot of unknowns on the beans. I, I mean, the balance sheets that, that I run would show next year even tighter than this year, at least up until, say, next March, year from now, when uh, you start to get into serious Brazil 2023 crop. But, um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic on the beans. Um, Chinese don't act as panicked as what we would think they would, given somewhat underbought for April, May, June, July. Um, on the corn... I just think there's the Chinese seem to have cooled off on the demand side. Um, what we see is more interest in uh, fall, this coming fall, fall 2022, 20, than in additional old crop purchases. They still have a fair amount of old crop to ship, but for both from us and from Ukraine. Um, and on the wheat, if you go back to a half-normal Canadian crop, 
you know, the Australians already have 50% more than they can ship. I mean, they could, they could have a crop disaster and still ship probably a near record amount of, of wheat in the 22-23 season. So um, we have some issues, but they're kind of, no one cares because we're the last one that you need to go and get wheat. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bearish, but, you know, on the corn and wheat, those are what are affected by, most affected by the Ukrainian situation, and I have no idea how to, to handicap that. And uh, I, I was reminded um, uh, of a Clint Eastwood quote, um, right when he like his enemy gets blown up, and he, he says, "A man's got to know his limitations." <laughs> and when it comes to Ukraine, I'm I'm trying to keep that in mind. I've got no idea. So I've been very small, um, and I think there's just too much risk in in that geopolitical sphere to um, be very extended. Well, geopolitics on the side, how do you see the, um, the, the protein relationship shaking out, Kansas City, Minneapolis uh, versus Chicago and so forth, uh, David? Well, you know, it's interesting. I got an email about that from someone else, a different group, uh, yesterday. And, and my first reaction was, you know, when people want to be talking about protein spreads, it, it means that they don't dare do anything else and they think that that's safe. And so, um, you know, I've, I've avoided spring wheat for a long time ever since I uh, was wearing my little spring wheat uh, trading pit badge, went down to the pit in Minneapolis, and, uh, and uh, you know, everybody else in the pit went over on the other side and, I said, bid three, and they said, offer four. And I said, bid three and a half. They said, offer four and a half. And I handed our order deck off to the guy that normally filled it and said, this is not for me. So, so my, my thoughts are not, are not very clear. I think um, over time, spring wheat, is going to people are going to need some spring wheat before we get the Canadian crop again, or before we get the U.S. spring wheat crop again. And um, there's lots of alternatives for acreage in that area, from you know funky peas to uh, canola to whatever in both Canada and North Dakota. And I I wouldn't want to be shorting it. Uh, I wouldn't want to be short Minneapolis against anything at this stage, but honestly, I I don't follow it as much as I I probably should. Understood. Um, Kevin? Yeah, let me give... Hey, I'm going to toss my perspective in. Yeah, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably, you know, literally, probably one of the bigger bulls. I shorted some corn the other day. Probably wasn't even long enough to write about it. Pulled about 15 cents out, like I said. 
shorted a little wheat, wasn't in it very long, started talking to myself about that, and I'm sitting here looking to short some beans just at some point, probably more in the camp of uh, with Mark and Dave. I, I just, for the life of me, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where the next major catalyst is going to come from, and you're going to have to have a catalyst uh, of some size when we're at this elevation of price. So I look at when we transition typically from South American weather being the driving catalyst to the U.S., you know, any type of spring weather story to me is going to be bearish beans because everybody's going to have a quick trigger finger to plant more bean acres. And you start talking bean acres over 89 million or get it plus plus, I mean, where's your story? And I, we've already flipped over the card. A lot of people are already talking sub 300 million on ending stocks. So where's your story there? I mean, to me, when you start to lay all the bullish cards out, a lot of them, at least in my perspective, feel like they're already on the table. Uh, and could we go higher? Certainly. I mean, you could get a pop at some point, and then you move over and talk Russia, Ukraine. Well, as you and I have talked before, Andy, what, I mean, hell, even if they invade, I mean, that uncertainty is then off the table. I mean, it's the uncertainty and the hype that, creates the premium to some degree, even if they invade, that card's then flipped over and off the table. And now what's the next catalyst to keep the bulls and honestly to keep new money flow coming into the market? And that's the key question. Where are you going to keep new money flow coming in to drive, continue to drive prices higher and higher? I don't know of that. I'm not certain about that. That's the one that's got me. Are you going to pull money over? That's my question to you guys. Are you going to, we're going to pull money over, continue to pull money over from the equity side and bring it into this, the row crop ag space? I think there's a shitload of hype already on the table about renewables and what's going to happen with bean oil and what's going to happen with meal and, you know, is bean oil going to go to a buck and meal to, uh, meal to $100 or 150 I don't know. I mean, there's people out there talking that. And then you're going to have, you know, I've got guys asking me, what's my 24, 25 bean acre number for, hell, I don't know. I mean, there's that, do we, are we going to get 95 million acres of beans? Some people say you're going to need it if you put all these crush facilities in. Then what, ha you know, there, there's a lot of what ifs, but I, I think a lot of that's already on the table. I, I my, my opinion, that's why I've, I'm definitely more bearish than I've been in a long time, or I should say less bullish. Uh, for certain, just because I, I, I think, I don't know where you're going to get these big, big catalysts. So you guys tell me, where do you think, Mark, where do you think money flow? Could you think money flow can come in from other places? You know, it's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we seem to be, we seem to be catch, capturing some outside money here. The stock market's been selling off. Um, you know, it's kind of hard not to, look at beans and corn and think they're cheap when you're where let's see which crude oil this morning 94 bucks um you know it's it's all the all the guys goldman sachs all these people are touting it you know and, and i wonder like like where you're saying is all on the, well is that all on the table you mean, the other day when beans had that big spike up and then and then crashed i i was getting bombarded by bullish bean stories there was bean stories coming in from goldman sachs there was bean stories coming in and I basically all every every bone in my body said sell it, and uh, I hesitated, but I did sell a little. I was still higher. Took a little bit out of that. It was nice, um, but the hype was incredible. The, the the 
amount of money coming in, what's the stock market going to do? I kind of think that after this thing's over, if if China doesn't mess with Taiwan, if, if it just Russia maybe takes the region of the Ukraine that is a lot of, you know, Russian people, the Donbass region, the Donbass, um, I kind of think the stock market might be in for one more run. Um, you know, a lot of times these bull markets and in like the metals in particular and stuff were coincident with the stock market selling off and all that, but I don't know if it's going to. Um, I'm not much, not much help. I just see a lot of, a lot of hype coming from people outside, you know, the industry. I'm getting asked now by people, um, a guy who's, <laughs> a guy who's working on one of the, on a building that I'm renovating asked me yesterday, you know, should I buy corn kind of thing? You know, it's just like, you know, it's like, uh, Rockefeller and the shoe clerk. I don't know. I don't know. There could still be a lot of money to come in, but it's awful hyped right now. So, uh, you know, Kevin, I'm I'm not, I'm not much use on that. I just don't know. Yeah, it feels it feels to me like I don't know anybody that's not bullish, and if they're not bullish, they're too scared to be bearish, and that just worries the hell out of me. It's like. I haven't talked to one person that's just like, no, I got to get, I've got to get in and short this. I'm with you, Mark. When that thing blew up past 16 bucks the other day, I sold some up closer to, got lucky closer to the high. But I, I felt like you were saying, I mean, every single person I talked to and everybody is just rowing from the same side of the boat. And I, I agree, maybe we can run to 17, 18 bucks. But boy, I tell you what, it feels, it feels toppy to me when you get this many people all lined uh like i said i don't know where you're going to keep bringing in new bulls at and new bullish money but maybe andy what do you say what you're you're you were trying to short it there for a while Andy, one time and then you kind of just scratched a few or made a little bit here and there but what 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 flipped you around well i kind of feel like a fart in the skillet <laughs> depends on the day i mean you know yeah we ran up to what 1640 uh you know, I'm back down to 1350. So, you know, you, we're, we're running a dollar just sloshing around with the water on the bottom of the boat. And I'm just trying to say that, look, when we get down at these kind of levels, uh, you know, with still that uncertainty remaining, I, I kind of want to own it. I think that, you know, the inflation story is far from over. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that uh, not only is, is, is Russia going to go in, um, but I think that when the uh, – I think that you know there's there's the the new axis between uh, Russia and China, um, and that we're gonna you know China's gonna also get uh, squirrely here. They'll never have a better opportunity than they will right now with with the weakness uh, being shown both in uh, the EU and, and the rest of the world, and, and certainly in Washington. So I, I kind of believe that we're gonna see that kind of a activity occur. That's gonna be uh, negative on the stock market, and yeah, I guess you know, then you have to ask yourself, well, do we use grain as a weapon against China if they were to go into Taiwan? Um, and, you know, that, that that would be one of our plays, I assume. But, um, you know, that aside, um, you know, I think that would be negative to the stock market and certainly uh, pull a lot of money out of that, that, that sector and make it available to others. Um, I, I guess I think that, you know, we're going to see what the Fed's going to do come March. 
Uh, if it's a quarter percent, uh, I think they're going to stay behind the uh, eight ball too long, and and inflation is just going to continue to run run rampant. And uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I, I'd be su- surprised if we don't see crude oil print above a hundred dollars, um, maybe 110, 120. Um, I'm in that camp, uh, and so you know I don't know why that would uh, preclude corn and beans from uh, at least at a minimum being followers. I hear what you're saying about transitioning from South American weather to U.S. weather uh, in the spring, but you know we're we're uh, this is some bad stuff. I mean, probably one of the worst droughts we've had in South America over the years, and a lot of times, you know, it tends to be something that you know it's a race to the bottom in terms of the yield and production. But uh, something feels a little bit different this year to me. Um, I guess we'll have to see what happens. But I think you can see more money coming back at us um, because I think the stock market is suspect, and I don't know, everything's a matter of timing. But uh, I think we're heading lower in 2022. And, uh, you know, as you said, what's the the acreage uh, mix going to look like? David, you and I were talking the other day. You said some people are at 92 and 92. Well, that's a, that's a pretty big number for beans. Um, you know, we've, we've seen a huge move in the bean-corn price relationship lately. Um, how do you see that playing out, David? What's your thoughts on acres? Um, I'm 88 beans and 92 corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only people I've heard, and it's sort of anecdotal, is a major commercial uh, headquartered in Japan uh, with an elephant here in the Gulf that <laughs> maybe has bean acres over 90. Um, you know, the whole rotation thing, with people not like liking to do beans on beans, makes it hard to get more beans. I think an interesting thing in the, in the Delta, which I'll, I'll call the Delta, it's going all the way up to the Ohio River, but um, you've got a little bit of a cotton coming in, that maybe, I don't know who, who they're going to steal acres from, maybe peanuts in Georgia, but, um, but there, there do seem to be a lot of beans getting planted because, or, or, or intended to be planted because they, they can perhaps uh, harvest early enough to capture some of the inverse. And um, so there's that. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, it's 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 a big conversation among people like us, and when I talk to guys that are a little bit more grounded, like Mike Mock, that deals with intelligent farmers, I mean they don't seem to make the kinds of switches. <laughs> I think Informa has made I don't know if they made it publicly, but in some conversations I've had with a couple of those guys, well, they're not Informa anymore, whatever they are. Um, they they have done some studies and they think that you, when you have a sustained period of high prices, you don't see the increase in acres in the first year. You see it the second and third year. We're sort of out into that second third year, and so maybe we can actually increase the acreage by. Um, but even that, I'm kind of dubious because um, the prevent plant program is going to be pretty attractive given the high. Uh, guaranteed prices, insurance prices. So I'm pretty agnostic. I'm not a 94 corn guy, and I'm not a 90 million bean person. Um, so, and, and I know 
I don't think 88 million. We'll see. I, the what's happened with um, you know this, these problems in in Brazil, particularly less so in in Argentina, is you've you've got a trickle of U.S. business coming that's already switched back. Some European business, Egypt, um, a stray Chinese boat or two. Um, so that if you, I think we've already taken the carry out under 300. And it gets, depending on how bad it really is and what the logistics are like in Brazil, um, you could easily see August some pretty decent demand from China for beans here. And that, we could get a carry out of 150. It's not there now, but we, it, you can see how that would develop, and that would certainly sustain prices at these levels. So um, I, I think generally speaking, though, know, the corn is – the corn story relies on uh, China buying 30 million tons this year and 35 million next year. Um, and that somehow – that seems to be less likely. So. Uh-huh. Well, it's just, you know, back, uh, Kevin, when, when at the prom, the U.S., uh, you know, back in early January, the U.S. was uh, uh, 15 to $20, 10 to $15 a ton uncompetitive with uh, South America all the way through August and through September, in fact. And, and what a, how quickly things change. Um, to make us even more competitive now, and you know, at the time, looking at a 500 million carryout now, sub 300 million, and God knows what might happen if uh, if we continue. Um, so I think there has been some changes, and and that's certainly something that we need to keep our eye on. Um, so now, I still, you, I still, yeah, I mean, I'm ahead. still of the argument, Andy. I'm just still of the argument, though, like you just said. I mean that. That was the big switch. I mean, we were all sitting here saying, "Oh, we could bust beans. We're going to be down sub thirteen bucks in the twelve. And next thing, we're talking five hundred million. The next thing, we're talking, just like Dave's Dave's saying. I mean, sub three hundred. I mean, I'm hearing all kinds of people talk sub two hundred. So there's not a bull in the market right now, in my opinion, that's not talking the one fifty two hundred. That there's a possibility we could get there. So that was what worries me because. You and I know. I mean, I think if we have trouble with China, I mean, I think that's bearish beans for sure. I mean, I don't see that being bullish beans. I think if we have weather issues in the spring, that's bearish beans. I, I, I'm with Dave on the numbers. I think 88, 89 million maybe on bean acres, uh, but seems like producers have a tri- itchy trigger finger. If if they come into some weather hiccups, they'll probably roll some more right into the beans, but. I'm with Dave. I don't think it's going to be anything substantial. I mean, I speak with Nutrien and their top execs quite often, and they're forecasting the same thing you and I are talking. I mean, 92, 93 million corn acres, you know, probably in that 88, 89 million bean acre camp. And I, I, I think that's where it is. But the input prices being so high, I don't know if you're going to get a big expansion of total acres. And I'm also with Dave. I, I have heard um, some of my cotton guys have expanded some more cotton. We've had a little bit more, you know, other 
ancillary type, uh, specialty type crops come into play. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough to expand those acres a whole lot. I think it's interesting, like Mark said, you may not plant some spring wheat acres, obviously, and you may run into some things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just sit here and say I, I don't think it's going to change a ton. Uh, and then you're going to get, you know, that, that, that period right there is what has me worried. That, that 60 to 60 day period, I guess, in the spring as we get here. So that's where I'm at. Well, hard to argue. <laughs> you guys are making some good points. But it's always good to have controversy in these calls. So I'll stick with my yeah. position. Um, <laughs> unless we you want find to more to gold? Uh-huh. Well, you find more gold up here? How can you be law and metals when you got, you know, the, the tenure up here flirting is 2%, and, and it's going to take it out. It's going to be 25 3% by the end of the year, my opinion. Um, and I don't know how we don't have inflation and, and how we don't uh, – metals have to at some point respond. You know, with, I don't just don't see how it does. I mean, uh, uh, Bishop, you're a gold bug. What do you think? Well, you know, we've had 10 years of very aggressive monetary and fiscal policy. Traditional financial assets are, I just saw this come in. I'm reading it. It's not my, I'm not this smart. At the highest valuation to GDP in history. Um, excessive money creation always leads to inflation. And there's hardly anybody who owns any of the gold and silver. Nobody, nobody talks about it. Um, I mean, I have a admission to make is, you know, I owned a bunch of miners during this last year when I should have been in, you know, Facebook and whatever, you know, of course they got their come up and the other day. Um, I'm bullish. Um, I think this gold silver ratio makes me more, more bullish silver. Um, I'd like to see things kind of break out rather than, you know, maybe we have another dip, uh, whatever, but um, I've got myself under control and if it starts to run, I'll buy more. Um, I've got money in the account um, that I might uh, deploy in that manner at the time. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm friendly to the metals. Um, you look at, again, you look at $94 crude, and you look at $23 silver. You know, I mean, it just seems like, um, you know, that on a relative value basis, that's uh, relatively – Inexpensive. Yeah, that's very. Yeah, every time we, every time we've seen a pop, it set up getting close to twenty four dollars. It whacks it right back down to twenty two, and away we go. And you know, we rebuild from there. And, and same thing with gold. You get up to eighteen fifty, and you whack it back down to the, you know, high seventeen hundreds, and then you know, inch your way back up. And and we seem to be in that, but once we get a breakout, I, I agree with you. We may uh, we may see things finally uh, move on up, and I, I don't think it does it by a little bit. It, it uh, a breakout would be significant given how long we've been uh, range bound, if you will. I mean, the, the, you got the price earnings ratios on on mining stocks, and they're paying dividends. You know, um, they're cheap and. Uh, like you say, I've, I've got a core position on, I'll add. Um, I took off a bunch of the 
I got fortunate and <laughs> I got real lucky at the end of the, the end of 21. Um, I sold all my losers cause I needed to take some losses. So I, I, I got, a, I got a fair amount of cash in there and I dumped a bunch of dogs. So I'm just sitting here waiting for the metals to start running to redeploy a little more. <clears throat> Well, speaking of deploying, you had a hell of a uh, good idea the other day. Why don't you share it with the uh, with our listeners uh, regarding a stock trade that you were kind of um, hot on? I know we were kind of in the same camp on this uh, Palantir stock, and uh, we've seen it make a you know move down fairly significant from its forty five dollar highs. Um, but uh, you're you were uh, doing a few things in there. Do you care to share, or maybe not? Oh yeah, I, I, it took me a second to uh, remember because I'm always spouting off wild ideas. But um, there's probably some other stocks like Palantir out here um, that you can do this in. Um, Andy and I both—I I guess I can reveal this—we uh, got in pre-IPO at very good levels and um, took some money off the table when it was higher. And now we're kind of we're kind of getting you know, ground out here. Um, but I was looking at, I'm trying to get this to expand a little more. Uh, on Palantir, it's a $14 stock. And and with the volatility in some of these things, you can buy, um, you can buy the $13 calls at 5.30 and sell, or I was actually buying the 20s. They're around three bucks. And the 40s were uh, around their, a little over a dollar now and you know it's a good company it's got earnings it's well the main thing that they've been doing is they've been the uh, owners of the company have been have a bunch of stock options they've been dumping it out but if if the market takes off and if it's good you can buy the 20s and sell the 40s for about a little over two bucks and uh, I did a bunch of that and my plan is when Palantir gets back up above those levels is to, you know, take some money off the table. Um, and I imagine that there's other stocks out there like this. Um, you caught me off guard, Andy. I, I had to cue this all up. But uh, there's probably not. No, it's okay. Um, that was just uh, something that I was looking at the other day. And I, there's probably other opportunities like that, you know, to get money out of the stock market and still have exposure. This, oh, I didn't say. Those are the January 24s with 703 days left on them. And I like the trade. I think you did something as well, right? I did, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it made a lot of sense when I heard it. And uh, sure enough, you could do it. So you're right. There, there are probably yeah. some others out there that ought to be looked at. A lot of these uh, tech stocks that uh, got whacked hard, um, and even though I think we're going – lower in the overall market uh, structure. I think there could be some bargain hunting to do and do it options in a way that uh, you can kind of limit your risk. Makes sense to me. On these down days, you know, people are selling options. You know, I'm guilty of it. Uh, you're selling options, covered calls. You get some pretty good deals in those. In those, uh, they, they crush the volatility on the calls when they're seeing a down day because everybody's selling covered calls. I think that was the down day that we were doing that on, if I remember. Yep, it sure was. Sure was. 
What's uh, what's your guys' opinion on the crypto space? Parker? Well, um, I, I guess I'm a little just not adventurous enough, but um, when somebody starts telling me, uh, look, you know, you can invest in a basket of cryptos, and I'm kind of like, do you realize that that basket can be an infinite number, that these are made-up constructs. They have nothing behind them, not even the full faith and credit of the United States government. I mean, I understand that we're debasing our currency by overspending, but uh, the U.S. government still actually has assets, Um, you know, national park here, national park there. Soon it's real money. Crypto is nothing. It's, it's, it's just a shell game. It's not easy to use. Maybe it will be sometime, but it's not currently easy to use. And it appears from what you see sporadically in the newspapers that the systems are not as secure as you might have thought they were. And so... You know, I mean, if I'm saving for, you know, a period of anarchy and chaos, I'm going to suspect that maybe the electricity system isn't all that uh, secure, in which case my cryptos are worthless because they just don't even exist anymore. I mean, if you want to have a doomsday kind of... um, protection, I, I think you you basically have uh, underground tanks of gasoline and uh, um, uh, your own armory and, and some gold. I don't see how crypto does anything for anybody other than, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm pretty negative. <laughs> so I take it you don't own a lot, Dave. No. Uh, you know, now, Canada, I just saw on the news the other night, they're attacking the crypto um, as part of their crackdown on the anarchists that actually own trucks and all their friends. Hmm. Yeah. So with the, with the, the governments are going to go after it. That's not a good thing. Well, I don't know if I'd call Canada's knee-jerk reaction to be uh, going after it from a standpoint of anything other than Trudeau being a wacko, but uh, my my opinion. But Kevin, I know you're a big, uh, not big, but you 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 dabble occasionally in the uh, uh, crypto space. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, we were in early, fairly early, and then I kind of blew out, took some profits, and. We got, you know, on this last break, oh, I put some, uh, I put some more money, deployed some more capital in that direction, and you know, I think in December you had Bitcoin transactions surpassed everything that was done on all of PayPal. So, I mean, you know, you are gaining some, you're certainly gaining some interest, and you're gaining some utility. I think you're, you know, I talk with, you know, BlackRock and Blackstone and other players. 
pretty regularly, and it's, I mean, there's definitely a lot of more uh, large capital money going into the space, and like I said, if you want to follow the leading engineers, if that's any indication, which I was taught years ago in Chicago, I mean, shit, watch where the engineers are going, they're the best of the best, and, and the majority are honestly moving into the crypto space, so I mean, crypto, solar, as we talked, uh, wind energy, you are getting more uh, more of your bigger engineers moving into some food science and some of the ag sector. So that's I'm excited about that. But right now, that's our number one is into the crypto space. So when we were early at Tesla and we were early at NVIDIA, I mean, really one of the only one of the main drivers for me is the data I get on where the top engineers are going to. And is when you watched NVIDIA start to move up the the ranks from nowhere and then you you know at first you saw tesla move up the ranks uh, and you know it's still the same thing if you've got a ton of money being deployed from wall street and you have some of your best and sharpest uh, kids that have uh, utilization of that money i think they're going to make some things happen so you know my daughter's uh, up in new york and hell every other night she's at some nft thing or or some uh, big like crypto thing. I just told you I was down in Austin. I was speaking San Antonio. I speak in Austin as well. And shit everywhere in Austin. It's uh you know billboards. Crypto is real and NFT. You know all this craziness. So I you know for me I think it's old bears and uh, young bulls. And uh, I I hate to say that, but like you know Dave Dave said crude oil. Get some get some barrels of crude oil and some gold. And I'm like you know that's that's. That's what we would say. I mean, uh, the folks are even older, but I, you know, the young kids may say, grab a computer engineer and, <laughs> and grab a thumb drive and, and have some Bitcoin and away you go. I, I, you know, I don't know. It just seems, it seems odd, seems strange, but uh, the smartest people I know that are younger uh, certainly seem to have a big, big vested interest. So I'm doing nothing more than following the crowd of the, of of some of that. Do I think it could have a massive break? For, for sure. Why not? Uh, I don't, doesn't feel super bubbly because most of the smart money I talk to and uh, they're waiting for a break to buy it. They're waiting for a bigger break on a pullback to buy it. Well, that leads me to believe we're not really overly bubbly. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I'm going to leave some in here for a while. Um, uh, see what happens. I mean, crazier shit, I guess, could happen. So who would have ever thought Bitcoin would be here? I mean, we traded to 60000 I mean, who would have thought that, Andy, years back? Oh, I hear you. I mean, I, in fact, I was, uh, I was golfing the other day with a buddy of mine that has a high-frequency trading firm that will remain anonymous on this call. But, uh, you know, he was, he was we were talking, and he said, yeah, I've been plowing a lot of money into uh, uh, getting my, my uh, uh, crypto trading platform complete because i go so you're a big believer in cryptos he says not necessarily a big believer but the the, the bid offer spreads are massive i mean they're huge and so from a from a uh, um you know high frequency trading perspective uh and from a proprietary trading perspective there's big there's there's gold in them hills and he said you know i i just think that you know you got you know what grains are down to an eighth of a cent uh 16th of a cent uh you know spreads and, and, and you can get you know the equivalent of a, a dime 15 20 cent spreads and uh in, in cryptos he says why wouldn't you do it so you know 
that makes sense, and uh, you know that kind of volume will continue to, you know, perpetuate the, uh, you know, the activity of the market until it doesn't, of course. But um, you know, is all this really an experiment uh, so that you know governments can learn and from there, you know, create their own electronic currencies? Because at the end of the day, that really seems to be where we're heading. Whether it's cryptos as we know them, or whether it's government issued. Um, you know, uh, electronic currency as we don't know yet, but you know, I mean, all, it just seems to me that, that this is an an evolution of what's to come, and it's not necessarily going to look like it does today, five years from now. That's all. <clears throat> yeah, no, I I hear you. So, I mean, to my and just my my feeling is is I mean. It feels to me like Bitcoin trades more like a gold. I think Ethereum has more utility as Solana or some of the others that trade on the Ethereum platform. Just because the millennials, are, it's all about this creator economy and this creator mindset where they're going to do things differently with music, art, everything that's creator-based. And if you look at that, I mean, that's basically their whole world. So social media, metaverse, all of the things that you want to talk about that are going to come through this next uh, phase of, of millennials and Z's, I mean, it's all creator-based, and they're going to have these platforms that are going to compensate that. Like I said, my daughter does a piece of art on OpenSea or one of the other NFT platforms, and it sells for, just for everyone to understand, I mean, if it sells for, say, $5,000, and then five years later it sells for $50,000, uh, she's still blockchain to that and earns a percentage of that. And if later on in life it sells for $5 million, she's still attached to it and earns a percentage of that. Where in traditional world, shit, a Picasso or someone, I mean, did a piece of art and I sold it for $5 and never ever saw another penny after that. So you can't tell me that people in art and, and the artists and creator community isn't going to push for this. I mean, they're all going to move that direction because they can keep themselves tagged to it via the block. So that's where you run in with your Ethereum or your Solana that actually those computers drive that blockchain. So that's that creator economy. And from my vision and what I'm seeing, and when you have a Facebook make a huge pivot and you have a Microsoft out trying to buy Activision Blue and you have all of your largest companies trying to pivot to that type of world and that type of space, I mean, I think it's probably sticky. And so that's where I'm saying we may not fully understand it because we're older but and we don't live in that world. But I, I think you're seeing these younger people, and that's, that's where we're headed. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that's the overall view from 30,000 is, you know, these influencers, these creators, or whatever the hell the kids want to call them, that is where you're going to drive that. And continue to drive it. So, I mean, you're seeing baseball cards now. Shit, I you know, collect baseball cards as a kid and younger. I mean, I told you, I was selling baseball cards over here for stupid amounts of money. But now they're coming out in NFTs where you get these old. You know, I don't even know what the hell it is. I mean, I don't want to show my buddies a card on my phone, but I guess the kids do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I guess they want to do that. I don't know. It's it's crazy to me, but that's that's where it's all going. So. Like Thorne and I were well, talking about. That's jacking up the value, too, isn't it? 
oh, my gosh, it's crazy. I mean, it's nuts. That's what I'm saying. If you have the, you know, but I, I, I think that's where we're headed with it all. So, you know, it is what it is. I guess we'll, we'll yeah. see where it all plays out. But it's, uh, I look at it, and like I said, I view Bitcoin more of a store of uh, store value, like similar to gold. I don't know. I, I would ask Mark that, too. I mean, I, and I even asked you and uh, Hootie's that one on the call. How the hell much? I'd love to see a chart. How much do we think Bitcoin has stolen from gold uh, from a money flow perspective, you know, again, on that store of value? I think it's pretty sizable. Do you guys? I think gold would be a shitload higher. For what it yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big headwind for gold. And, uh, um, you know, the younger people are buying Bitcoin, the older people are buying gold, you know. And, and uh, yeah. it, I did, I was long Bitcoin for a while, but I'm probably not going back. I uh, I made some money and I don't want to screw it up. Um, but, yeah, it's a store of value. And I don't know. I, I, I'm surrounded by ranchers here with cows. And, you know, I I got myself, in case the, the, the end of the world comes, I got myself a bunch of Jack Daniels down under the house that I'll trade for some meat. I don't know that they're going to want gold under that situation. I don't think they'll want Bitcoin under that situation. So I figure Jack Daniels and vodka is the way to go. <laughs> I would agree with that one, Mark. That's a good thought. Oh, hell, too funny. So. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we uh, um, kind of wrap it up with our uh, favorite trades and uh, David Parker? I know you're probably not going to lead with uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, but uh, what are your what's your favorite trade right now, David? When you look out over the next uh, say sixty days, if I had to do one thing that I thought um, wouldn't be adversely affected. I, uh, one thing or another, I, I would buy new crop beans, buy November beans, or sell $14 puts, and be content with a smaller gain. Okay. I was thinking some selling. I was thinking of selling some new crop beans. I'm not going to do that now, Daddy. <laughs> I'm probably well, there are a lot of farmers that are. I hear you. What do you got, Mark? You know, I don't really, I can't say that I really even have a favorite trade right now. I'm kind of, you described it earlier um, perfectly. People are either long or afraid to be short. Um, I'm kind of into afraid to be short as far as the ag space goes. Um, we talked about the, the metals. I think there's tremendous upside once it runs. I'm sitting with um, core position in miners. Um, I'll add to that on the breakout like Andy talked about. And I don't plan to let them out easy because when it starts running, I think it's going to run real big. Um, but in the ags, I'm just, I'm just sitting here flat. And, you know, you got the situation in, in Ukraine. I happen to think if, if they go in and they just take that one region, the Donbass region, I actually think, that's not going to be that bearish. Obviously, if uh, China goes into Taiwan, I think it's incredibly bearish, but bullish probably the metals. Um, so I'm not I'm not loaded with great ideas right now. I'm just uh, um, not only am I afraid to be short, I'm almost afraid to trade with all this political stuff going on. 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, I, you know, the last time, Andy, we were on, I, hell, that was back four. I said I'd get, got long the back end of natural gas. I just liked the play, thinking we were, you know, October, nat gas. Just feeling like if you wanted to be hedged and, and Russia was maybe going to go in or something like that, we'd build a longer-term position. You did it and some other shit. I wrote it, wrote it a little bit, and I told you I exited before we had that huge pop. And we pulled back, and I bought it again the other day. So I'm along the back end of natural gas and the Octa 22 contract. I, I, I mean, I think it's just one of those if, if, if. I mean, if all craziness breaks loose. Um, I'm long the XLE. I've been long the XLE for a while, the, the energy. Yeah, if I'm long GLD, and then... I had been short the NASDAQ for an extended period here, and I mean, and that, and I'd done well, and I started buying the triple Qs on the break, uh, oh, I think Monday, to be honest. I mean, I I suspect if all hell breaks loose in Russia or with China, I think we probably pull back and, and have a leg lower in the market, and I want to probably deploy quite a bit of cash at that time, and tried to be a bigger buyer and probably buy the triple Q's and, and maybe the, the SPY or something where, uh, you know, you're pretty heavily weighted in, in some of your bigger, you know, the tech sectors really taken over uh, as far as the indexes go. So you'd be a little heavily weighted in that tech sector. But I think that's probably the, the safest place to be is some of the stored storm clouds pass over. So I, you know, I think they're flush with cash and, I think it's going to be tough for inflation to massively disrupt uh, their supply chain on the tech side. So, you know, your Microsoft, your Apple, your, you know, some of those uh, people I think are probably even Facebook on the big, big break. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to, to pivot and they're going to chew through a lot of money, but I think on a, uh, a longer term play, probably their, their cash flow is going to be pretty sound. So like I said, I, I think I like cash. I like having a sizable position. I probably about, I bet I'm 45, 40, 45% in cash right now and uh, maybe a little more. I think if Russia goes in, I'm going to try to put a lot of money to work on, on, a, on a dip. So I just think I mean, interest rates don't scare me moving higher in the market. I think, you know, hell, you had a run of 17 straight interest rate hikes uh, through that period in the 2000s, and, and the market moved higher. I mean, no, it didn't move massively higher, but you still moved higher. And if you're going to have that type of inflation, I think you're still going to have a lot. Guys, we had, we never had this much money in circulation ever in history. I mean, M2 was off the chain. And all and like I said before, all economic cycles begin when you have M2 at its highest. Not They don't end when you have money flow at its highest. I mean, they, that's when they start. And so I think, I think we can get a break, and then we could be in for another massive run higher and a big push. I know Andy will take maybe the opposite side of that bet, but, I, you know. I don't, I don't remember trading any markets where the top felt. And all of my friends on the stock market side, and all of my smart money friends, all of us are we're hesitant. We're just hesitant up here. We're like, man, you're gonna have rates going up. You got Reggie. You got that. We don't ever remember a top feeling like that. The top was, you know, everyone's cheering and going nuts, and then it just blindsides you. And the next thing you know, we're we're tumbling, and and, and you know, this this would be the most forecasted break in the history if this thing breaks aggressively so i i don't i don't know if that happens so that's what i said i think the next leg lower i'm going to put a lot more money to work and probably put it in the bigger names and see how we go so that's mine 
Well, I, I can't argue with you on, on the uh, tech side in terms of owning uh, quality names um, that don't need that are in need of uh, cheap money, and there are a lot of those out there. Um, but I think as a sector as a whole, there's there's a lot of fluff. Uh, not much different than there was back in the in the 2000 Nasdaq market, but um, I. I look around and I see probably four bubbles out there. I see a bubble in, you know, theoretically, technically, uh, in commodities. And I got bubbles in the stock market. You got bubble in the bond market. Um, so you know, I mean, hell, in 08, we're, it's a whole lot different than that. Um, and that we only had one bubble then, but it kind of all just kind of permeated over its, you know, onto the uh, gunnels, if you will. What's different this time around, though, and I would agree with you, Kevin. There's just so goddamn much money out there. It's it's hard to uh, it, it's going to get deployed, and so you know a twenty percent break uh, in the Nasdaq. Well, you know, in, in the in the, in the broader markets, the equities, I, I would say is probably worth owning because I, I just think there's too much money that's going to come into play that's on the sidelines still. Um, so I, I kind of agree with that, but I, I, I I'm going to count ten Mississippi, not five Mississippi, and because uh, I want to see China play their cards out first too. Uh, as far as you know, I'm a big believer in the uh, in the metals, and uh, I, I'm not going to add much to what Mark had to say about that. Um, and I guess the other uh, boring, boring, boring trade I continue to like and pretty much do every year is uh, long December and short September corn. You know, we're sitting here at a 12 to 14 cent inverse, depending on the day, and uh, I, I think that eventually goes to a five, six cent carry. So, you know, that's nothing to write home about. It'll put you to sleep. But uh, I, I think it's a, it's a safe trade, almost irrespective uh, of weather, uh, because September is essentially new crop. So other than that, you know, I, I enjoyed the conversation today, gentlemen. It was great. Uh, thanks for your participation. Uh, Kevin, do you have anything else to add? No, I think it was great. I always love hearing from uh, both Dave and Mark. So I know we're yeah. all not real sure. But, hey, it is what yeah. it is. So a lot of uncertainty. <clears throat> yep. <laughs>